With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Family Caregivers on Blog Talk Radio. I'm Susan Bida, the co-founder of eCareDiary.com. We're a website for family caregivers caring for those uh, suffering from long-term illnesses or uh, for those of you caring for elder parents. I'm your host for today's show, and I'm very excited to introduce you all to Rachel Kodanas. Uh, she is an author, speaker, and coach who provides encouragement to those who are suffering a loss or setback. She recently wrote the book, Living with Loss One Day at a Time, which is available um, on Amazon.com, on most online and uh, uh, bookstores. And uh, she holds a Bachelor's of Science degree in Business Administration from Bryant University and is a columnist for Living with Loss magazine. She speaks nationally on the subject and has appeared on the show, Good Morning America. What? Welcome, Rachel. Well, thanks. So thanks for having me on today. Well, you know, it's it seems uh, like a like a sad topic to discuss, but I think a lot of those who are listening to our program, many of whom are family caregivers, I think, um, are in, either anticipating loss or have gone through loss. And uh, I think it would be very helpful for you to tell us uh, if. You know, why is it that you wrote Living with Loss? What what inspired you? Well, first I have to say that I commend everybody that's listening that's a caregiver. I mean, I think it's one of the hardest jobs that we could ever have. Um, but I actually wrote this book, uh, started writing this book, and my whole journey was based on the sudden loss of my husband when I was 31 and my daughter was uh, just two years old. And it was not a, a situation where I was a caregiver. It was a sudden loss. Um, it was arrhythmia, just missed a heartbeat, and that was that. But over the last 22 years since I've lost him, I've spent so much time talking with grievers or people that have had hardships, and I've just been collecting material and ideas and just thoughts. And what I came up with just last year, like a year and a half ago, that I would put this all in a book to share my findings and take take this really difficult task of whether it's a caregiver or a loss of a loved one and how to help the survivors. So is this book uh, written primarily for survivors of, of those who uh, have lost a, a loved one? Um, yes, I'm going to kind of do that. I was going to put a butt in there. It's not just on the loss of a death. It's really just on a loss in general because for me, once you receive that diagnosis and that you're now a caregiver for or if your parents, like if you're, if you're caregiving for elderly people, that loss begins before the actual death. So what the book is designed to do is it's 365 lessons and thoughts. It's a daily thought. So it's living with the loss one day at a time. We don't need to try to predict what six months is or what's this going to look like in three months. It's just one day at a time providing hope and healing. Yes, and I, I couldn't agree with you more with respect to feeling like um, 
you know, especially if uh, your spouse has been diagnosed with, uh, uh, you know, a, a chronic illness or a fatal illness, uh, it almost does feel like uh, a loss at that moment, even though they're physically still alive. So uh, tell us, Rachel, is it is it possible, do you think, for um, for someone to really cope with loss in a positive way? Um, I do, and, you know, if you had asked me that on April 15th, the day after my husband passed away, I would think that you were um, doing some kind of alternative uh, lifestyle there to ask me that so quickly. But, however, <laughs> I do say that it is definitely, um, I think I'm a different person. I, I think I'm grounded. Um, I'm remarried, and my husband says to me, all the time that they forgot to cut the umbilical cord between me and my daughter. And I think that's a gift that we had that my, I lost my husband and she lost her father because we bond, bonded on a different level. I think we grow in a way that it's not worth the life or the loss or a diagnosis or an illness, but we really, we really cherish what life is about when we have it challenged that it's not as we once thought it was going to be. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, um, you know, sometimes people, and and I certainly um, remember. You know, I've 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 undergone um, losses of a very close uh, my stepfather, and then um, not directly my own parent, but my husband's uh, father when he passed away. And I'll never forget. Um, and you know, we're going to be talking about guilt in a minute, but um, I'll never forget him feeling uh, guilty for almost a sense of relief after having, you know, after his father passed away and, um, you know, having taken care of him for, you know, three years uh, when he was really in his, in his most severe state of, um, of illness. So uh, I wanted to ask you about that. So tell us about the, the feelings of guilt after having experienced the loss. Well, there might be a difference of opinion of what guilt is. And for me, I truly believe guilt is related to our emotional state that we're in and not necessarily our logical state. Because if we think logically, like just a story that you shared, if we think logically and this person is ill and there's no quality of life, logically we could say the best thing is for this person to pass. But then emotionally there's that guilt or whatever word you want to use with it is associated with, but wait, you know, why should I, why should I wish that upon anybody? But to really summarize the guilt versus not guilt, I think that in life we have to spin our stories any way that works for us. Where I work with some people that say, well, I wish I had the opportunity to say goodbye and that I didn't have a chance to do this, this, and this, and they might feel guilty that they didn't say anything if it was a sudden death. But on the other hand, for me, I like to spin my story and what happens in my heart that my husband didn't suffer. So with, even with the guilt is whether you are guilty that you didn't love someone enough, we really can't go back there because there's no backwards to that. So again, as I said earlier, is that emotionally that we're going to feel guilty. We're going to be guilty that we get to live and they get to, then they had to die. It's just the nature of who mm-hmm. we are, but logically we have no control over that. So I would suggest to anybody is to try to get out of the emotions and into the logic and start working to spin your story that works for you and just stay with that and try not to flip-flop back and forth. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great advice. Um, it, it may seem hard when you're in the moment to do that, um, but it's so true. And, um, and the, the example you provided, I think, the fact that, um, you know, that uh, if, especially if they were suffering from a, a pretty severe illness, and that, you know, they, you know, thank goodness that, that they didn't have to experience that 
pain anymore, you know, could be one way in which to look at that differently and turn the guilt around. But um, right. But thank you for sharing that. But also, like, you no, know, go ahead. Colorado. Yeah. I live in Colorado, so the tragedies that we've had, whether it be Columbine years ago or whether it's the Aurora shooting recently right. or whatever it is that we've, we've had our fair yeah. share here. And those to put into your question about guilt, you know, the guilt is, well, why did I let them go to the movie theater or why didn't I go to the movie theater or why didn't I protect them in the movie theater? We can go on and on and on, but I still would apply my same logic to that is that you can't do anything. It's already done. So try really hard, and it doesn't happen overnight, but try really hard to get to the other side of the logic and cherish what you did have and not what you've lost. You know, try to cherish what you so, still had with them. Well, what, what are some ways that you would um, suggest uh, to people to get there, to get to that other side? Well, I have a theory, and my theory is, and even in caregiving, which is, is really big in caregiving, probably more even than in grief, is that, although it's counterintuitive, that you need to take care of yourself first, um, even before a patient that you're taking care of or if you have a grieving family, whatever it is. And if you take care of yourself first, that means eating right, sleeping right, you know, exercise, all of that, so that you start feeling better about yourself, you'll be able to switch a little bit from the emotional state into the logical state, and you'll be able to get just a little bit your arms around what's really happening. I mean, I, I can't tell you that I got, I mean, I did come out of the house for the first two years of my husband's loss because I had to work and I had a two-year-old child, but emotionally, I mean, it was very hard. So that's where I'm, I'm not trying to say that this happens overnight because it doesn't. But if you can yeah. get, just take care of yourself first. That would be my first thing. The second thing is that I would surround myself with a, what I would call your support, your support group, whether it is family, friends, an actual, you know, a support group of whatever type of loss you have, whether it's, like I said, a caregiver, that type of situation, or an actual death. But try to find people that understand what you're going through and will not hover over you, and they will actually be able to help you, and, and especially if you're with people that are a few, six months or a year ahead of you in the same similar type of loss, then you will see hope through that there are advancements. So it's just a couple ideas. I got millions and more, but we don't have all day. <laughs> well, thank you for, for sharing that. And, and Rachel, you know, um, I want to ask you about, especially when, uh, and you mentioned uh, when, you're, when you lost your first husband, you, were, you had a two-year-old child, your two-year-old daughter. And I, I have a question about that because I think it's, um, you know, and I remember my mother when my stepfather passed away. He passed away very similarly to your husband, a uh, massive heart attack. Um, he was very young. He was in his early 40s. I was in my teens. And, you know, how as a parent do you separate the grieving and then being strong for your child? Because I, I can't even imagine, I mean, having a, you know, a young child the way you did and, and losing your spouse, your significant other, and, um, you know, and, and, you know, you talk about having to take care of yourself first, but what happens in the event that you have a, uh, you know, young children to consider as well and, you, and you're experiencing this tremendous uh, life-changing grief? Well, my theory on taking care of yourself first probably came from that because the more strength I had for myself, the more strength I had for her. And I think that particular idea that I have of taking care of yourself first probably stemmed from that. That doesn't mean that you do, but I just, you know, I mean, that's where I really do think that if you get your own inner strength, you'd be able to just share that other places. But it's really interesting that you asked me that question, Susan, because when my daughter was in college, um, 
I asked her, you know, she was crying that she was a poor college student. I said, well, I have a great idea for you. Go get those, all those home movies that we took, you know, and this was before digital days, and let's get them off the VHSs and let's get them, you know, digitized. And she did that, and she came up stairs where I was and on her computer and she showed me I had never looked at the first two years of her life because once my husband died I was just beyond having the ability to look at any of those home movies and what I learned from that was that I was so much more patient than I thought I was and the reason why I'm sharing that story with your listeners is that when you're going through it I thought I was the worst mother that ever existed I thought I had no patience for her I thought that I was not um, you know, just providing her where I need. I was working full time. I was traveling with my job. I just felt like that I wasn't preparing for her as I should, or taking care of as I should. But hindsight and looking at these films, I really was there. I was, you know, just I could just see from her and our interaction that I was totally interacting with her. So I guess what my moral of that one is, and to share with people. Even if you feel like you're not engaging and even you feel like that you are in an altered state, you really are existing. And just keep trying and just keep fighting through it because one day you will wake up, and I'm not sure what the trigger is, but one day you will wake up and you will realize you're doing the best you can and that's okay. Right. And I think people are hard on on themselves and and have a lot of high expectations of how they should be behaving or doing um, in the moment of loss. So I think there's this, there's this uh, lot of beating of oneself up. Right, and I try to do that in my book because, I, again, there's 365 thoughts and lessons. And some days I just say, you know what, today's the day to have a soothing cup of tea. Let the amino acids do their wonderful things to relax you. And other days I say to you, you know, you need to get up, get out of bed, and you need to do something constructive. And then other days I'll say, make sure you do not eat a meal alone. Like, like today, you cannot eat all, all your meals alone. You need to find somebody. And another day I might say to them, you know, go find a long-lost friend or reach out to someone that, you know, has been bothering you that they haven't reached out to you. So each day I provide a little bit of hope that, that, or a little, an idea that will get, get you one, you know, put one foot in front of the other and get you a little bit stronger. So uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the format of your book because I think your book is not a typical book about, you know, how to deal with loss but you do it in a very different way and you do it in a daily format. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that? Right. Well, I think at the end of the day I come from business and that's my background in Fortune 100 companies so in management. And so I think I was more, I'm a little bit more of a matter-of-fact person, but of course grief is so emotional you can't really do that. And I think when I got my feet back on the ground, that was the approach that I wanted to share with my the people that I was supporting is that I will coddle you and I will give you lots of love, but on the other hand, we can't change what happened here. We only could change how we react to it. So that's what I wanted people to understand in their grief journey, you know, that religion will build a bridge, family will build a bridge, but at the end of the day, it's really up to you to get you to where you need to be in this, and only you know where you need to be, and that would be creating a new relationship with the person you lost, or in the case of your, your listeners, possibly somebody that you're caregiving for. So what I, when I was trying and struggling, I didn't want to do a memoir because my story is just a story. Susan, you have a story. You've already shared some of it. We all have stories. So what I wanted to do was kind of have a self-help, daily encouragement, something that really provided true insight into loss 
yet on the other hand provided the person that was reading the book that I wasn't in their face, I wasn't yelling at them, and I wasn't trying to get them to be somewhere they don't want to be. So I was trying to do it matter of fact, but a little bit, you know, just not as pushy. So that's why I came up, I was like, okay, let's come up with 365 days, and which was hard, by the way. And then what I'm, what I, there's no beginning, there's no end. It doesn't matter if you're six months out or ten years out. The feedback that I've received from the book has been everywhere. That some people are ten years out, and I'm so glad that someone gave me this book. I have a new relationship with my loved one. So I'm, you know, I'm getting amazing feedback. That's great. That's great. And um, well, let's let's talk a, l- a little bit about um, some of the the do's and don'ts that you recommend for dealing with loss. So are there some do's and don'ts for, I guess, more for the friends and families that are perhaps uh, things that they should or should not say to someone who has experienced loss? Well, and that's a good one. So, you know, I mean, there's some straightforward ones that you would read in any grief book that you would have is that, you know, don't tell them you know exactly how you feel because you have no clue how they feel. Because I might have lost my mother and you might have lost your mother, but our reaction and our and nobody knows what's happening behind that front door. We don't know what the relationship is with some of the siblings. We don't know what the relationship is financially. We don't know anything. So that's you just can't compare losses. That would be my number one thing to say, don't compare losses. But really what, yeah. what happens is that the hovering factor, I call it the hovering factor when I do presentations, the hovering factor is really hard on the grieving person or the person that is, you know, exhausted from caregiving hovering over and that person that's in that, that, that position might feel that you are criticizing what they're doing, you want them to get over it. But at the end of the day, what you're really trying to do, which you may or may not realize is being in, interpreted by the person that is grieving, is you just want to fix them. And I use that word pretty strong. If you want them to get up, you want to see them laugh again. You want to see, like for me, the old Rachel back. Everybody wanted to yeah. see me out there running and doing my thing. But it doesn't happen overnight. So if I were to encourage people that are listening is that the hover factor is often they, the person needs it, but you just have to be gentle of what you provide in that, what I call the helicopter over them. You know, nourishment, somebody to walk with, taking care of some of the kids' stuff, whether it's, you know, doing errands or household chores or what that type of stuff, those are absolutely dues without asking, can I do it? more so asking that closed-ended question, I'll be in the neighborhood next week, I'd like to stop by and do blah, 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 instead of saying, what do you need? Because if you ask me what I need, how do I know what I need? So that would be my don't hover, but be there. I know Mm -hmm. it's a fine line. And don't try to fix them, just try to encourage them. Yeah. Yeah, that's wonderful words of wisdom. And uh, I know and sometimes, you know, when we see uh, our friends or our family members uh, you know, incredibly depressed after the loss of their loved one. Um, you just want to you want to get them out. And um, I'll, I'll never forget, you know, watching my mom just lay in bed all day long and, and cry. And, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, I would just lie there next to her. Um, but, uh, you know, there's this feeling uh, of the person who wants to help of feeling very helpless. Um, but... Uh, but thank you for sharing that. You know, that's... Yeah, go ahead. Laying in the the bed next to her is giving because you're letting her be safe by letting her do what she needs to do and you're not criticizing her. And that probably gave her more strength than you can ever imagine because she could be herself instead of not being herself. And even though it was so hard on you, 
she clearly got out of bed at one point, right? She did. And some people are changed forever that they don't recover. And some people, you know, it's always with you. It's always with you. You just have to redefine your relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I imagine you, you see a lot of different ways of grieving. Um, I have also seen uh, situations where um, the person appears completely, like, back to normal. But then uh, it's almost like uh, they, they realize that their loved one has passed on, but then you see them six months to a year later and they're kind of a wreck. So have so I, I imagine in in what you do, you probably see different ways of grieving and um, and or, or different ways in which the grief affects or impacts people over time. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I, or I mean, it's an interesting angle on a question. So I I'll share the stories. I was at my daughter's high school graduation, and I had my deceased husband's parents on my left and my new husband's parents on my right. And I was crying, and I was really emotional. And, you know, my friends and people around me were teasing me, Rachel, you know, it is only a high school graduation. What are you doing here? And I <laughs> tried to explain to them, you know, I mean, they're like, Rachel, you've got to do a little bit better than this. And I said to them, you know what, this is what's going on right now. I mean, here I am 16 years after my husband passed away and remarried in a happy marriage. And that I realized that aren't I the lucky one that I got to survive this horrendousness. I was a poor widow, I thought, for so long. But I got to see her get her diploma where my deceased husband didn't get to see her get her diploma. So it's really, it, there's no timeline to your grief and loss because it's a continued, it's not a continued like I can't get out of bed situation. It's a continued reevaluation, emotional reevaluation of where you are. Again, how you work through it and how you, you know, so am I, could I be accused of not working through my grief? Well, if somebody would like to do that, they can, but I disagree. I think it's just a lifetime thing. So some people are very big about diving back into a daily routine because that's what they need. Maybe they're task-oriented by personality. Maybe that's how they deal with it. They'll crash at some point. It's not a bad thing. I mean, I wish that maybe I could have become a little bit more task-oriented in my first couple of of months or, or year. I couldn't at the time. I mean, I, I performed my job and I traveled with work, but I, I wasn't, I didn't have, I mean, I had that pit in my stomach all the time. Some people can avoid that and it might hit them later and it may not hit them until holiday season or a lifetime milestone, but it'll get, they'll, yeah. they'll figure it out at some point. Yeah. Rachel, this has been, I, I can't, I, I imagine for, for those listening, I mean, just tremendously helpful and I know for me, uh, just so enlightening just to um, the, the topic. I mean, it's not a, it's obviously not something we always like to talk about, but it is a reality of our lives and we do, you know, people pass on, our loved ones pass on and we, you know, I think when we um, have resources uh, such as your, your book, uh, I want to repeat the name of your book, Living with Loss One Day at a Time. And uh, if I have not mentioned it before, uh, if you want to learn more about Rachel and her work and her writings, it's uh, rachelcodanas.com, and I'll spell that. It's Rachel, R-A-C-H-E-L, Kodanas, K-O-D-A-N-A-Z.com. So thank you so much, Rachel, Rachel, for sharing your insights and uh, talking to us about your book, and we, we would love to have you back. Thank you. 
Well, I appreciate so much to you and the listeners for um, letting me share an important topic to me. I do like speaking on it and, and sharing my thoughts because I, I think I provide an upbeat, I know that's such a strange word with loss, but more realistic view on it. And, and within my book, Living with Loss One Day at a Time, I try to just provide daily help. My goal, so I really appreciate, Susan, to you and, you know, to all you caregivers and people that are listening to taking the time to, as you said, talk about a subject that is often overlooked. Yes. And I want to thank the audience very much for tuning in. And I invite you to join us next week on Tuesday, July 29th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time for our Caregiver and Physician Conversations radio show, which is uh, usually hosted by our caregiving expert, Marjorie Papps. Uh, she will be speaking to Dr. Kesavan Kuti, uh, who is a physician from the American College of Physicians uh, about giving and getting bad news from the doctor. To learn more about eCareDiary.com and our upcoming shows, visit uh, our website, eCareDiary.com, under content, and you'll see uh, our shows listed, and uh, we also have webinars and uh, coming in September, we'll have video shows as well. And, and Rachel, I look forward to meeting you again and uh, having you back. Thank you all very much, and have a great afternoon. Bye-bye. All right. Well, thanks. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.